You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Pete from the Do You Even Blog podcast, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, I'm Lily from the Fringer Team, and you are listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Angela over at Tread Lightly Retire Early, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. Hey, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have an interesting conversation today about should you monetize your blog or podcast? We have three guests with potentially varying interests and points of view on this topic. I'll like to have each of you go around and do a quick introduction. Could I start with you, Pete? Sure. So when you told me I had to write an introduction, by the way, you said three lines. So I wrote a haiku. So here's my haiku introduction. Hi, my name is Pete. I help bloggers grow their reach and make more money from doyouevenblog.com. And yes, I'm monetized. Awesome. All right. All right, Lily, can you give me a quick intro, please? Yeah. Hi, my name is Lily, and I own the Frugal Gene and Mary for Money. Um, that's Mary with the E. And uh, yeah, I'm monetized, and I treat it, um, or I should be, treating it more as a business. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for being on today. Angela, can you give us a quick intro, please? Yeah. Hi, I'm Angela over at Tread Lightly Retire Early. And um, at this point, my blog is 100% hobby and I'm trying very hard to keep it that way. All right. So I want to open up by starting with the whole panel and I'm going to run through each one of you, but starting with you, Pete, should your blog or podcast be a hobby or a business? I think the cool thing about doing anything on the internet is that it could be whatever you want it to be. And I, I hate to be that guy who doesn't take a hard line right off the bat. I know that's not necessarily fun for podcasting purposes, but in general, I think it just, it depends on what people want and what they need. So I'll give you a 30 second overview of my own story. I need to have a business. I can't do this just for a hobby. I have to go get another day job. I don't want another day job. I retired from accounting specifically so I could work for myself, self-employment, entrepreneurship, passive income. A lot of people understand that argument. I can't do it just as a hobby. I have to do it as a business. Also, I have to go back to a full-time job. Some people don't feel that way. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with just doing it for a hobby. So the short answer is 
It could be whatever people want. Lily, a hobby or a business? Um, it started out as a hobby and it's now transitioning into more of a business. What do you think made it change from a hobby to a business? The amount of work, I guess the amount of like stolen ideas. <laughs> not stolen, it's not in personal finance, but like it just I see it elsewhere. And I'm like, hey, that's like, you know, my topic and my title. I just encountered that over the weekend. And um, I was like, um, yeah, this is not a good feeling because they are monetizing better than I am. So I'm the one who gets screwed over. <laughs> okay with like these kind of things, but I don't want to be the on the losing end of this. So it makes me like competitive. So Angela, I'm interested. The, the reason I came up with this question was from one of your blog posts, uh, because I think you've been pretty clear in that blogging for you is a hobby. What kind of defines it as a hobby or a business? And kind of what Lily was saying, do you ever feel like people are using some of your ideas or using the same content you are, but they're making money off it? Oh, gosh. Um, I hadn't really considered that I haven't seen anything blatant like Lily's talking about. I guess I think in some part we all kind of um, play off each other's work. And as long as it's not like a direct steal of what I'm doing, then um, I kind of feel like there's definitely overlap. But for me, the reason why I say it's so solidly a hobby and not a business is because I don't want it to be a business. I um, did work a second job for like five years um, alongside my career job and it was a park ranger job so it was really fun I got to you know play outside in the woods and patrol trails and get paid for it but after I had my son um, and he got a little bit older I decided that I just didn't have the time and um, the want to split my time so intensely and so I specifically quit that job so that I only had one job and while blogging definitely takes up a lot of time, if I don't have the time to work on it a certain day, if something doesn't look perfect, if something's not going okay, it's, it's fine because it's a hobby and it's not being paid. Um, and so I can step away. Like just as recent as yesterday, uh, my husband and I got a chance to uh, take a short lunchtime date um, instead of which normally my blogging time on Sundays. And, you know, because it's a hobby, I was able to say, yep, I'm not working on the blog. We're going to go out to lunch and enjoy some adult time. Maybe that's because I'm a very type A person and a very, once I've set goals, I try really, really hard to hit them. But if I had a certain amount of money or um, income that I wanted to make off this blog, I would spend even more time and effort on it. And um, to be honest, I'm probably towing the line now as far as too much time, even as a hobby. So that's kind of my um, attempt at drawing a line of how much work I'm putting into this um, without it bleeding over. I, I have no interest in quitting my um, nine to five-esque job, but it's really an eight to two. I'm like 80% time there. So I'm, I'm looking at staying at 0.8 jobs, not 2.8 jobs. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's probably the biggest. I, I have nothing wrong with other people monetizing. I think that blogging takes a ton of work and a ton of time. And so I think it's fair to be paid to do it. But I think it takes a different mindset if you're treating it like a business versus um, a hobby that you just tend to spend a lot of time on. 
Yeah, Pete, I'd like you to talk to this idea a little bit. You know, you you say in your byline, build impactful and profitable blogs. Angela is talking about the responsibilities that come with monetization. Is it possible to build an impactful or a profitable profitable blog if it's if it's just a hobby? If you don't have that schedule and sternness that comes with getting paid to do something? The first answer is absolutely. The first person that came to my mind was Tanya from Our Next Life, who has a little bit of monetization now, but she didn't for years and years and years. An incredibly impactful blog for a lot of people. But also in my head, I don't see those two things being connected. I think people are out there who do not monetize at all, but they are still like super driven to put in a lot of time and hours. Like They treat it as a business, but it's not even monetized just because they want... They're so passionate about their subject or topic and they just need to do it. They need to put that information out there. They need to try and help people, teach people, whatever it may be. On the other hand, there are people, <laughs> think of my friend Bobby at Millennial Money Man, who makes a ton of money now and it's totally a business. Don't get me wrong. But when he first started, it's a very similar story that we've heard a lot, especially in personal finance blogging, of people who did start with no business in mind but ended up monetizing because it grew, right? They impact people right off the bat. A lot of time, not right off the bat, like in a week or whatnot, but like without trying to push and start a business and sell online courses or whatever. And what they find out eventually is that like, I have all these people, some of them are actually trying to pay me money by asking for a product or a coaching call or a course or whatever that may be. And so to me, the line is, the line is blurry. I think there are a bunch of people out there with a bunch of people, a bunch of objectives. Some are monetized, some are not. Some treat it like a business with organized strategies and goals. And I have to spend X amount of time per week. And some people don't. Some are not, I think it's kind of all over the place. I know it's a bad answer, but there you go. Yeah. It, it, Lily, that makes me think a lot about you too, because you know, it seems to me you've built up a following. Uh, you have a community around the frugal gene, yet you decided to start Mary for Money. What was the impetus uh, for starting a new blog and how does monetization play into that? For me, it was mostly personal growth. And uh, looking back, the frugal gene is a terrible name if you wanted to monetize anything. <laughs> it is. Um, and just really, I wanted something more general. Um, still in finance, but more general. And something a little more funny. <laughs> That's all. So, Angela, we talk about monetization as if it's this all or none phenomena. Uh, but it seems to me that a lot of people do some minor monetization. I've seen you talk before about making some money off of Ebates. What made you decide to do some minor monetization like Ebates, but not go further? Probably because I didn't really think about it when I started my blog. Kind of when you go through the, you know, start a blog steps, it's, you know, set up an Amazon affiliate account, etc. And so I kind of did that level. And really, all it is, is adding a very few links when it's relevant. Um, most of my posts don't even have like an affiliate link, let alone more than one. I, I think it's more of a passive versus active. And maybe this is just a block in my brain. Um, but at the point I had ads or um, like big affiliate programs or something, I think in my head, I would see it very differently. Um, putting up just a link saying, you know, here's 
Ebates because I use it and I'm talking about it as far as like I got my check for the quarter or whatever. It seems very low key, um, low effort. And at the point I would put in um, ads or do a, you know, a paid course or something like that seems a lot more businessy. And, and maybe that's just in my head and maybe that's just a totally, you know, it, it doesn't really have a set reason as far as why or why not as it's just more of a it's such a low level effort and low um it's not bothersome when you're reading um i think some level of ads are fine but they definitely like shout that you're making money off of this blog and it does detract a little bit from the reader experience not that that is necessarily wrong but for me i think that's kind of how it feels more businessy but it's it's not a clear line Pete, let's talk a little bit about the efforts of monetization. You kind of dropped a little bit of a truth bomb recently in one of your posts on your blog. Uh, you say something to the extent that that uh, growing a blog into something successful is really, really hard. Talk to me about that a little bit. Do we oversell the success that's possible and the effort? Can I come back to that in one second? Let me talk about ads on like 30 seconds. I promise I'm done, Doc. Uh, so I could not agree more with everything Angela just said, specifically about ads. Like I feel I'm about to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Pete over here, by the way. I'm about to flip-flop. I couldn't agree more. I don't have ads on my site. I can't stand looking at them on other people's site. It bothers me. Like it detracts from user user experience. It's literally selling your reader's attention. It is. However, uh, one of my good friends, Jay, from Millennial Boss, she came on my podcast a year ago, a long time ago, and she's like, I got to argue with you about this. I'm like, bring it on. I can't stand ads. We're going to do this. And what she said was, I am happy. She mentioned Paula Pant from Afford Anything, another finance person. She's like, I am happy that Paula has ads on her site because I love her content. I love the podcast. I love the blog. I want to support her, and I don't want to pay her money. Like, she's not going to pay Paula Pant some money for a course or anything. She didn't want to do that, but she wants to support her. She loves the fact that she has ads. And when she said that, I was like, huh, there's something to that. So I'm not suggesting people put ads on their site. You know, if they're tasteful, I do think it's like an entry level way to monetize something. If you're giving value to other people, which you are, and everybody is trying to do right through their blogs. So I don't like them personally. I don't want to put them on my site, but you know what? It's kind of a nice way to support people in like some little bitty way. So there's there's my spiel on ads. Sorry. Yes, I think okay, Pete, we... can I respond to that real quick? Yeah. I just want to say that Jay has gotten to me with the exact same argument, and I completely um, understand your feeling, and I understand where she's coming from, and she's the one person that's gotten me to be like, eh, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But <laughs> <laughs> so at the point I decided to make this a business and not a hobby, I would maybe be be swayed by her maybe maybe not but i think she has a really good point pete do we oversell this idea of the effort required to monetize is it really really hard yeah yeah i think it is uh i think it's hard to grow not just monetize i think it's hard to get readers in 2019 and 2020 and beyond uh, i do there's a lot of people out there it's never been easier to start a blog like technically from a WordPress standpoint, you can go to Bluehost and they install WordPress for you on the back end. And then you just set up your theme, which is hard. Don't get me wrong, but never has it been easier. And so I do think myself included 
digital marketers tend to rely really heavily on success as a marketing tactic. You take a look at blog income reports. There's no better marketing for me than when I produce like a, look how much money I made this month income report. And I put it on Pinterest and I get it to rank in Google and people are just like mesmerized. Like I got to follow this guy. He knows what he's doing because he made $10,000 from his blog last month. Success sells. Like it or not, it does. And so I do think, well, not that I'm perfect, but I do try and make my brand very transparent or I try at least to be authentic and really try and tell people what they're in for when they have these dreams of what they want from a blog and then they start and then maybe it's what they thought it was going to be. Maybe not. I think we could all do a little bit better at uh, making that clear. Yeah. Lily, I kind of want to get your opinion on this. So you have a very successful blog and now you've launched a second. Are you finding success more or less difficult with this new blog? Uh, Do you think it's going to be a different journey than your first blog was? For me, um, I started as a new challenge. So the formula, the formula is different, which means I'd, I can't really give you like how it's doing. I think it's doing fine. Um, it's definitely different. If you look at the stats from when I first started with Rugojin versus Mary, they're completely different, but it's, um, they're also not really the, sub, the same subject because Mary is geared towards um, finding extra income and personal uh, and frugal is more like frugality and like personal finance and like just a diary of my like my life. Yeah, it's di- it's different. Angela, talk to me a little bit about this duality between enjoying your W two main job and this hobby you have. Is there a time where you might pull back at work to blog or write more? Would that even enter your thought process? I don't think so because I've already pulled back at work. Like I said, I work 80% time and it's pretty hard to be impactful in my career if I worked less than I do now. I could definitely ramp up and use more hours, but um, I think 80% has been a pretty good, happy medium. My son is also almost four years old, so in a couple of years he will be starting school and you know he's slowly getting more independent. So even from you know a year ago when I could only work on my blog if he was sleeping, um, that's starting to change. So um, it's it's less about needing to pull back at work and more just as my kid gets a little bit older, I have more time and more bandwidth to just work on other things. So it's a balance between that and then, you know, working out and working in my garden and seeing people and blogging. And my husband's always telling me that uh, it doesn't matter how many things I cut out of my life, I'm going to fill them with something else. So um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not one of those people that, finds downtime. It, for the most part, doesn't exist for me. So Pete, I'm wondering, with people who come to you for blogging advice or, or into your courses, do all roads eventually lead to monetization? Do you have a, a group of people in your community who are not monetizing and probably never will? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, the cool thing, first of all, there are people out there who start blogs or start online businesses with the sole intention of making money. I'm not going to say that's bad, but I'm also going to say it's going to be really hard to persist when it gets very difficult and people quit a lot of times. Yes. The answer to your question is yes. There are some people in specifically blogger you, my like community that they kind of think monetization would be nice one day, but they have full-time jobs. There's a lot of, for whatever reason, there's a lot of lawyers are attracted to Pete for whatever reason. Uh, but they, they have no intention of quitting anytime soon. And so they have stuff that they're passionate about 
outside of their day job. That's what made them start a blog to begin with. For most, it's finance or education or parenting. Uh, a few travel people here and there, but I... That's one of my favorite things about blogging is that, no, I don't think people need to be monetized if they don't want to. And I think it's totally viable to quote unquote impact people, make a difference, right? Just talking about something that you're fired up about. I think it's amazing. Lily, I want to pull it over to you a little bit. Um, When you first started your blog, were you planning on monetizing? And, you know, I'm going to add a second question to that. I noticed in one of your blog posts at the end of 2017 as kind of a wrap up, part of your goals for 2018, you say monetization is probably the most difficult thing for me. So the two questions are, did you plan on monetizing from the beginning? And why, why do you feel it's so difficult for you? Um, I thought I would make some just because you know, I don't want to pay for hosting or like because there is upkeep costs with the blog. I thought I would do it that way. And that was before I heard of Mediavine. So that took care of my problem for me for frugal. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Like that's one thing about display ads. It's so easy. <laughs> um, and uh, it is one of the things, monetization is one of the things that does not come naturally to me. That's why I started Mary because I was like, I have to treat it like a business so um, I could produce better content that way and, you know, uh, spend some money into growing it. Because when you're thinking of it as a business, you put out, typically you put out better work just because, um, not always, but typically just because you have your, you know, butt on the line. That's where your, like, next meal is coming from if you were to depend on that. So, yeah, it's a different challenge and I like it. It's, it's really fun. I think it's when you're, when I was, I got bored of blogging on Frugal. I really did. It is so boring. <laughs> um, so I just decided to do something more fun and a little more exciting and a little more out of my comfort zone just for personal growth. Yeah, I want to point out a little bit of caveat on what Lily said a second ago. I agree with everything except uh, the starting anything with a business in mind would lead to better content. I don't necessarily think that that's true. However, what Angela said earlier about it taking a different mindset, I totally agree with. And I think that's what Lily was hinting at just then as well. I do think that it's easier, I'm doing air quotes uh, for those that can't see me right now, it's easier, quote unquote, to monetize when you do switch that mindset and you have this as in, I'm going to try and make money. I'm going to ask people for money in one way or another because that is difficult and always will be. I don't necessarily think it leads to better content, but I do think it makes it a simpler, straightforward switch as to, okay, now this is my goal. This other thing was my goal, just reaching people, just being fun and engaging and interesting and useful or funny or sad or whatever your blog is. And now it's just such a thing. So I agree with what Angela said earlier about that mindset switch. Yeah, Angela, I'm wondering, I mean, this kind of begs an interesting question. Is it possible that moving towards that business mindset could actually up the game of the quality of your content? Have you ever wondered if that would make you, quote unquote, more professional or, or produce more? I, I think it would definitely change the content that I put out, at least to some degree. Um, my best example probably is my garden update posts that I put out every month or two. I really like gardening. I really like talking about it. Um, there are a number of people that really like my gardening updates, but to be honest, they perform the worst as far as um, views and interaction and whatnot. So if I was going down the monetization path, I would probably completely cut those out of the picture. Um, but I don't want to. 
I really enjoy writing them. At some point, I'm going to write another recipe post, and those do probably worse than the gardening ones. Um, but I have a few things I want to talk about. And the nice thing about not monetizing and not having that as an end goal is I can write about whatever the heck I please without being concerned about how well it's going to do. And I know myself at the point that um, I was looking specifically for an income producer, then I would very much focus on the content that I know reaches the most people and does the best. Um, it's hard enough even just looking at blog stats and seeing that certain things don't do as well. And that's just completely, you know, vanity metrics. At the point, it was very clearly money. Um, I think I would completely niche down to a point where I think it would be less fun for me. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Yeah, Lily, I'm wondering your, your opinions on this. Could monetization kill the joy? Could it actually lead to prematurely stopping your writing or quitting blogging? I mean, if you come in with just a monetization frame of mind, then you're probably going to quit because it's a lot harder than what people think it is. I don't know. It, I don't think it depends on that. I don't think it depends on monetization. I don't think it's that important. I don't know. I, I think it also really depends on you personally. Because yeah. for me, I know myself and I know how I would treat it and how I would go forward if that was the goal. Some people, I think, have a much better maybe compartmentalization or maybe they're not so anal retentive when it comes to stuff. I mean, I once I set myself to post Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I am posting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, even if um, I have to, you know, give up sleep or something else just to do it. And, you know, does it really matter if I had a post come out this morning? Probably not, but I still did it. So um, I know me and I know that I would take it very differently if the goal was monetization. Some people just put up ads and, you know, they kind of run in the background and they're going to do what they're going to do regardless. But for me personally, I know that it would really change the way I looked at blogging. So Pete, tell me a little bit, what what's the harm? You know, you're writing your blog, all of a sudden people are coming to your site all the time, you look and, hey, I happen to have 25,000 sessions a month. Why not sign up for Mediavine? What, what, what does it make a difference? I don't think it does for the most part. And here's why I can defend that statement. Most audiences on the internet, by the way, I'm not saying this is right. This is just my objective, what I've noticed. Most audiences in most niches on the internet are used to ads. I personally think that's sad. I personally would like to start over from ground zero in like an ideological world and not have that be the case, but that's the truth. It just is. Uh, my friend Chelsea added ads to her site, Mama Fish Saves, and she makes like 2,500 bucks a month from it. Like boom, and like month one or two or something like that. Did she get any complaints? None, not a single one. Like the, just no one really cares. It didn't bother that many people. Now I do think there's obviously extremes where it could bother people a lot, especially if you go from no ads to ads, I do think there's something bad there. I don't think that's a great transition, but if you can tastefully serve up ads that aren't like super interface, annoying user experience, I, I truthfully don't see that much harm in it. I personally would never do it because there's just like that 10% user experience that I don't like, but for most niches and most blogs, I think that 10%, it doesn't matter quite as much as we like to think it does. Yeah, I wonder, Angela, does that have resonance with you? I know you're aware of that kind of 25,000 number. I've seen you reference it before. Mediavine is a fairly seamless process. Are you tempted? Sometimes, <laughs> to be honest. Yes, sometimes. Um, but I try to most, at this point, put it out of my brain. I, I'm very much with Pete on this, that I really don't like the look of blog, uh, ads. And I like the way my blog looks without them. Granted, am I putting leaving money on the table by not putting them on there? Absolutely. And I mean, am I putting money on the table by not working full time at my job? Yeah, I'm putting more money on the table there than if I were to put up media ads. Granted, that takes more hours. But again, 
I would then put more blogging hours. At the point I put on ads, I would feel for my readers that I would have to put out better content and clearer content and more specific content. If I was going to put ads and be making money off the people coming to my site, I think I would feel like I needed to bring a higher level to them for it. Um, what are the big monetization mistakes? Like, what do people do that does get them in trouble? <laughs> uh, well, let's let's stop talking about ads for just a second and talk about everything else. Affiliate marketing, digital products. Those are the big ones for most bloggers and uh, online businesses in general. Uh, you're talking, talking about sponsored posts. You can talk about that sort of stuff as well. But in general, like affiliate marketing, digital products, and sponsored content. I think the mistake that most people make is starting to do all that stuff with no audience. And there's two problems with this. One, they're not going to make much money because in order to sell people anything, whether that's somebody else's product through affiliate marketing or a brand's product through sponsored posts or your own product, uh, you need authority, you need trust, you need respect, you need confidence from your readers and your buyers. And if you haven't put in the effort to do that, i.e. you haven't put in the effort to build a trusting audience, you're never going to make any money. That's one. Two, if you monetize, I'm not going to say too early because I don't think there's necessarily a line there too early, but if you monetize without an audience, if you start pushing products on people and pushing tons of affiliate links on people before you have that trust, you're going to turn them off faster and you're actually going to lose readers. So I do see a bunch of people starting blogs, keep pushing out content and maybe they even start to grow a little bit, but then it's just like, boom, here's my product. Boom. Here's like tons and tons and tons of affiliate links. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's a risky game to play with any sort of long-term strategy, if that makes any sense. So Angela, you're, you're obviously a blog writer, but you're also a consumer of blogs. What kind of stuff turns you off when you're looking at someone else's blog? Have you had bad experiences with ads or sponsored posts or other forms of monetization that have, have kind of made you sit back and go, hmm, I'm never going to do that on my blog? Um, well, the blogs that are covered with ads are kind of annoying. Um, there are a few bigger ones that I read because I've been reading them for five or six years that do, but it is still kind of annoying. Um, but to be honest, I think in some ways sponsored posts bug me more because at least with ads, um, you're still reading the content from the blogger that you want to the site to read about. I, I'm not talking about a, a guest post or something that's another blogger, but you know, the very clearly paid posts that are just like garbage writing. Um, you know, I, I could care less about those and I'd rather read something I want to read with ads than go to a site and see something there that I have absolutely no interest in reading. I'm wondering, Lily, your take, have you ever done sponsored ads uh, or sponsored posts and, and what do you think about them? No, I don't even know what those are until FinCon. <laughs> I really think I'm really innocent in most of this. So it's just like, what? Okay. So no, I don't know what that is. I don't want to do it. It sounds like meh. Well, we've been talking explicitly about blogs so far, but a lot of these same questions I think apply to podcasts as well. And since we're on a podcast, it's possible that some of the people listening to this are considering uh, starting a podcast uh, or considering starting some sort of influencer platform. And Pete, I'll ask you, uh, because I think you probably have the uh, most experience uh, in the other platforms. Do do, the, do your answers apply for other platforms? And 
or what other things should people be considering if they're thinking about doing a podcast and should they be monetizing it or not? So, yes, I actually I have pretty strong feelings on this. First of all, let's draw the line. We're going to draw the line at some imaginary number around 50,000 downloads a month. Like once people get to 50,000 downloads a month, they can start to use podcasting industry metrics where they get X amount of dollars per 1,000 downloads. And it's just a whole bunch of calculations that they take to potential sponsors and whatever. That doesn't matter for 98% of podcasters like me. Right. I have nowhere near that many downloads, right? right. Neither do for we. <laughs> all, for all of the rest of us, there is this really cool opportunity to sell somebody else's product, usually via sponsor post, right? Or sponsored content, podcast right. sponsorship, just through our authority. And here's why this matters. When you sell either affiliate marketing or a sponsored post on a blog, it's just, it's written words on the page. It's very clear that this was like, like, Lily and Angel have been talking about like it's very clear. This is like super spammy. This is like non-value adding content for the most part. It's just like it's transactional. However, the cool thing about podcasting is we get to hear your voice, and it's twenty times easier to sell somebody something, just an idea. I'm not even talking about products necessarily. Sell people on your opinion. Sell people on an idea, an ideal, your product, other people's products via audio. It's a completely different experience. And it works. That's why we have podcast sponsorships is when Tim Ferriss gets on there and he starts talking about, I don't even know, some the crazy Andes. herbal yeah. Tim Ferriss tea that he yeah. podcasts about. I'm like, I'm like listening because I look up to Tim Ferriss. I listen to his voice every week. And so when he tells me something, I'm stuck in the car listening to it. It's a different format completely from blogging. But in my opinion, for us small podcasters, meaning less than like Tim Ferriss down those numbers, it's just an incredible opportunity to go find brands and companies and products that we love and get sponsorships. It's a lot easier to do in podcasting than it is with blogging. You're not going to make a million dollars doing it, but you could supplement the cost of a new microphone and some podcast hosting or whatnot. I think there are lots of opportunities to monetize early and often and have it be authentic and valuable for your audience. Pete, does it feel different if someone is selling their own course versus speaking to a company or another brand? Does it feel better if you know they're selling their own their own product? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't really have a great answer there. I think uh, obviously people selling their own products is probably just as prevalent with podcast. We're still talking about podcasting, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, there are people like myself who might give a plug to Blogger U or stuff like that. Uh, I definitely think that that is skipped forward just as much as it is like sponsored content on podcasts. Don't we all do that? We like hear the show intro music and then we hear this is an ad for the next 30 seconds. And then what do we do? We go to our phones and we hit next. I do this with people talk about their own products just the same. Like I don't, I don't see a whole lot of difference in my head hearing some podcaster or influencer talk about this or talk about this. And actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to steal the mic for 30 more seconds. Ready? Something cool that I love is when podcasters break out of the format, like the 30 second live read or the 60 second live read with brand approved scripting that some company like emailed them and then they just like read off on their podcast. That's like super boring. Everybody skips forward on their iPhone, yada, yada. I think it's cool when people, I'm thinking of hardcore history, Dan Carlin, he has such a cool, slow, unique voice. And at the end of his podcast, what does he do? He reads his sponsorship and he tells a story 
a story that makes people buy into the product. I don't know. It's like three minutes, five minutes long. It's totally different. I love when podcasters do that. I think that's the best way to sell anything in a podcast format. Break outside the mold, ditch the script, right? And just talk to people and explain why something is awesome. That's the best way to sell things on podcasts. Angela, let's talk a little bit about that fast forward phenomenon podcast. I assume you consume podcasts. I've certainly heard you on them. Are there things that really turn you off about the way people monetize their podcasts? And are you fast forwarding through the ads? I I skip forward through the ads, but they don't bug me. Honestly, they bug me maybe less than ads do on blogs because they're so easy to skip forward mm. and um, get past them. Um, I'm thinking about Paula Pant and afford anything. And she's got a fabulous voice and I don't mind listening to her voice even with ads, but I still skip it because I'd rather listen to the actual content. And I do like with hers that there's like a, a little bit of a space between um, the like ad and when she gets back to having a conversation. So it's really easy to skip forward to the ad and not have to do the like skip forward back dance to like get to the start of the next section, if that makes sense. So I appreciate that. But I mean, I'm not going to not listen to afford anything because she's got um, ads on it. I think she reaches a ton of people and has a fabulous podcast. And yeah, I don't mind um, having to hit skip like three times forward. Lily, I'd, I'd send the same question to you. Are you fast forwarding through the ads on podcasts and, and do the ads bother you? Well, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't even listen to the one like that me and Ms. Sab did with Pete. I don't listen to my own recordings. It's creepy. I'm not going to listen to this one. <laughs> well, at least you're being honest, right? Well, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't really consume a lot of blogs. I'm, I, I typically watch YouTube videos and, and I typically listen to podcasts. And I just don't like sifting through all the noise that there is with a blog. But what's also interesting about what Angela was talking about on the Paula Pant podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, but I don't listen to it because I'm, I do, I cannot stand that type of, um, this is a personal thing, but I cannot stand that type of advertisement. But the, about the only ad, uh, podcast that I listen to that has that sort of, sort of podcast is Tim Ferriss. And I skip through most of them, except for when he comes up with some other zany thing. Uh, well, I've never heard of this, you know, herbal gray tea or whatever he comes up with. And I, I listen to that for the novelty of it. But once I've heard it, I skip past it. And so that's something we've been struggling here with on our podcast is um, we do intend to monetize in the effect that we want to make sure and cover our costs because we don't want to just be giving away our time. But we're also not in this to make a new business. So we struggle with how exactly to to approach monetizing. And so we have been considering the very idea that Pete was just talking about where we do sponsored affiliates for other people who are promoting their products that we believe in. And so that's what we're toying with. And so I'm curious, Pete, your thoughts, Angel, I really want to hear all y'all's thoughts on as somebody who's launching a relatively new podcast and has, you know, a relatively small following so far, we personally do not want to do the, or at least I personally don't want to do the, Paula Pant, Tim Ferriss style, those 30 second commercials. Uh, that's just, they're, to me, they seem almost pointless because I know people are skipping past it and it's taking away from somebody, but yet I don't want to just make ex that exchange for value. Peter, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I mean, part of what you, you said kind of goes back to the formatting, right? Yeah. Of when you put an ad in the show, is it scripted? Is it not scripted? Is it you know, 30, 60 seconds, or is it a little bit longer, or mm -hmm. how's that structured? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on all fronts, but actually, let me preface this first. You do have an audience. 
the podcast may be pretty new, but I met you guys at FinCon and you got blogs and you know, you're not completely starting from scratch. Right. And I, I say that to say this, the cool thing about podcasting sponsorships is that you're not going to give anybody any leads or purchases or sales just from the audio. Nobody's going to pull their car over to the side of the road and go buy some herbal tea that Tim Ferriss just recommended. Nobody's going to hop off the treadmill. Well, actually, I've done that one a few times. But in general, like life, they just keep listening to the podcast. Maybe yeah. they remember it. Maybe they don't. It's an awareness thing. So as new podcasters, the best thing you can sell people on is the following. Ready? I love your product. We used your product, Mint personal capital. In my case, it's like a bunch of digital marketing software like Drip or ConvertKit or any of that stuff. Yep. Uh, I love it. I use it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a live read on the podcast and I'm going to hit you up on social media. I'm going to promote you 10 times. It's going to be my own words. It's going to be authentic. It is going to truly state that I believe in your product over the next couple of months. I'm going to add you to the bottom of my email newsletter. It's just going to be a little postscript. It'd be like, P.S. Thanks be to Mint for allowing me to produce this content for you today. They are my sponsor. I support them a thousand percent. Without them, I would not be able to reach you as effectively. If you like it, go check them out here. Like just something super short, authentic, trustworthy. My point is like hitting people on different mediums. You can give social media shares. You can give email mentions. You can put their logo on your sidebar of your website. You mm-hmm. can do the live read on the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. There's a bunch of things that you have to compile to get sponsorships. And then the only other thing I have to say is go back to the formatting that you were asking about. It's just to be creative and have fun and only promote products that you truly believe in. And if you do that, you can't help but be more authentic. Like, uh, again, I'll just go back to like Drip. I'm going to get Drip on as the DU blog sponsor because I love their software. I promoted it for free on Twitter. Every time somebody asks me in Facebook groups or whatever, I'm like, drip. They're not paying me to say this. Drip. That's not even my affiliate link. I love them. I love their software. And for me, that's like the easiest sell ever. Like people people realize when they listen to your podcast or they even read your blog to some degree, they realize when you're just being paid to say something and when right. you really believe in it. So if you really believe in a product, I don't know. You could just about choose any formatting, just be yourself and hopefully it'll be effective. So Angela, you also consume podcasts as well. What were your thoughts on that? So my first thing is I don't listen to Tim Ferriss. I never have. So I don't know what his format style is. is, format is exactly, whatever. But I'm curious as to, you, you said you don't listen to Paula's because you don't like the format, but you will listen to Tim's even though it's the same format. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering why do you listen to his and not to hers? Oh, uh, good question. Um, I do resonate with his content more. So I, I just happens to go in line with me more. And I, I love it when the, when the, the guest turned it, turned around and back on me and put my own words in my own mouth. That's, that's perfect. Um, so there, there's not a clean answer other than I just like his content better. I'm, I'm willing to deal with, and, and again, I, I listen to his uh, one out of every maybe 10 episodes. So I don't listen to it religiously. And I've also found that as I've started producing now a second podcast, I don't have near as much time to, to consume podcasts as much anymore. But the, the, and the reason I like podcasts, those that I do consume, it's because it's the only thing I can do when I'm a captive audience in the car or working out. I, I can't read blogs that way. So that's the reason I listen to podcasts. So back to your original question, I don't have a clean answer for you. I think I dislike Tim's content more than Paula's. 
Okay, so it, it, it doesn't have to do with it's the same stuff. So it's really if somebody has like the best content for what you want to listen to, you'll put up with whatever yeah. kind yeah, of sir. advertising they have. That's fair. Yeah. Busted. And then you I, got me. <laughs> we'll, we'll just roll it out here. Okay. We'll, we'll go right back to you. We'll give you a chance to promote yourself. Where can anybody, uh, where can they find you on the internet and what are you working on next? Okay. Um, I blog over at treadlightlyretireearly.com and um, you can find me, find me most often on Twitter. Um, and then the thing I'm most excited about recently that I started doing in the last um, three months or so is my Women's Personal Finance Wednesdays Roundup, um, which is picking my three favorite um, posts of the week or so, um, specifically written by women bloggers. Um, I wrote my Meet the Women of financial independence post almost a year ago. And I think that really helped kick off a bigger conversation about women in this personal finance space. And I'd been toying with the idea of adding a Wednesday post for this for months before I started it, but wasn't sure I wanted to go to three days a week, but um, it is obviously extra work, but I'm loving getting to um, shine a spotlight on specifically women bloggers writing about personal finance and financial independence. And um, one of my favorite things is um, seeing the like referrals go out to other people's blogs and um, getting readers to see new content um, that they might otherwise not see. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being, for being on here today. Lily, how about you? Where can we find you and what kind of projects are you working on next? Uh, you can find me on the frugal gene or marry for money um, or on Twitter. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's it. Wonderful. Thanks for coming out today. Pete, where can we find you? And what you got any new projects? What's up next for you? Uh, nope. Just, just the one project, really. So doyoueveblog.com. That's where you can find the blog, uh, the podcast, and opt in to the email list, which I'm more than happy to shamelessly self-promote. It's where I do the majority of my communication. That's where I hang out. That's where the tribe hangs out. And that's it. I like to talk about blogging. Doyoueveblog.com. So, Paul, how did it feel when Angela turned the question back at you about listening to one podcast but not the other, and yet they had the very similar forms of monetization? I personally loved it because she pointed out the the flaw in my own statement, which th- there was, because I'm a you know flawed, irrational human being, just like everybody else that's out there who's listening. And when, you, when you're thinking about when you're monetizing and how your audience is resonating with what you're talking about, then you're talking, you're dealing with people who are irrational. And I, and she pointed that out in my own statement, which I, until she said that, I didn't realize that, 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 that my statement was as flawed as it was, but it's still my opinion. And, and I'm not just sticking to it because I want to defend what I said. It's because that's just the way I feel. And it doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah, you know, it kind of hits me that it's about the content, right? So we spend all this time worrying about ads and sponsored posts and turning people off but we tend to forget that we turned them on to our product in the first place by having good content. So I think Pete brought up a key point, which is you don't want to start too early. You don't want to over monetize. You don't want to kill your site with ads before you have any kind of following. But part of the idea behind a following is that they buy into you as a person and what you're creating. And I think once you have that original buy-in, it's much harder to turn them off unless you go too far. I love that term buy-in. Sorry to cut you off. I love that term buy-in because 
that's even if you're not actually paying, pulling out the credit card and paying any money, when you are listening or you're downloading or you're reading an, an article, you're still buying in because you're, you're giving them attention. And that is a form of buy-in. And, and let's be real. Most of these clicks that we're trying to get or, or lists that we're having people sign up for, or even products we're selling are not amazingly expensive, right? None of your readers are going to be bankrupted by what you're asking them for. It's more about them, again, buying into you. Mm -hmm. And that, it's not the economic cost, it's almost the emotional one. Um, and I think that's where people get stuck, is they don't get buy-in into the product, their own personal product of their content first, right. before they try to sell other products. And so I think that's the key. You know, I think... I think it comes down to your content is still king. And if you want to monetize, make sure that you've created a community around your content and already have gotten by. Uh, I will tell you one kind of big surprise of the conversation was when Lily was talking about how other people were using her content to monetize. Mm -hmm. so it sounded like people were taking bits and pieces of her blog, using them elsewhere and monetizing. And that's something I had never heard of. Uh, but certainly I could see that as a huge impetus to start monetizing yourself if you're not going to go and get some kind of legal recourse for such actions. Sure. If you already know that what you're doing is, is can be monetized and you're the one that created it, just <laughs> start doing the same strategies they're doing with your own native content. That's one thing that, that you can do that they've proven that they can is create content people like. And so I also like this, I like to take this idea of content and our audiences one step further. And as you were talking a minute ago, it reminded me that people listen in or tune in because of your content and they resonate with you because they resonate with your story or with your message and how it applies to them. Because you always want to be thinking about what you're doing for your audience. And typically people resonate with stories. And it's this idea, just like Pete was saying in the ad, that even when you're telling an ad that is written in such a way or presented in such a way that it's, you're telling a story, then you don't mind so much. And so it's a really good thing for, to harken back to when you're creating content in any format. What is the story arc? What do you want the person to resonate with? And what is it that they want that you're giving them? Yeah, I think uh, to sum it up, when we go out into the world and create content, we're really telling the story of us. And in order to tell that story well, uh, you can add in monetization and products, but it has to be consistent. Mm -hmm. It has to fit into your story of us. And if it doesn't, it's not going to resonate. And in fact, you're going to lose readers and listeners as opposed to gain them. And I think that's what's up next. Doc and I have been giving this subject of how to monetize quite a bit of thought. This episode is being released in January 21st, 2019. So if you're hearing this, that's when they refer to next year. They're talking to about 2019. And after ruminating on this subject and figuring out how we're going to be covering our expenses through monetization, we decided to go the route of partnering with our guests that have a product or service that would benefit you, our audience. We're thinking about the people listening to this and what is something that would make the most sense for you guys. And our one of our very early episodes was about money coaching. And Jillian Johnsrud from Montana Money Adventures has a course specifically around that called Money Coach School, which focuses on how to find your niche, how to create your offer, how to go through the thought process of pricing it and kind of structuring your entire business. 
and there's our, there are four specific lessons on how to coach, which is on the softer skills on the human psychology that we often like to talk about in our episodes. So her course is not the real technical CPA or advisor training. Instead, she helps take the knowledge that you already have about finance and how to apply it to build a coaching business. And I've had the pleasure of personally reviewing the course and I'm very happy to endorse it so that you can find your clients, make your branding come to life and serve your customer. So if you have considered being a money coach, then I suggest seriously considering Jillian's Money Coach School. You can learn more about Money Coach School at our affiliate link, diversefy.com slash Jillian. That's where we host our podcast is on Doc G's blog, diversefy.com. And you can see Jillian's course by going to diversefy.com slash Jillian. And when you sign up, use the coupon code UPNEXT, U-P-N-E-X-T, all one word. And if you use that coupon code before the end of January, then you will get 50 dollars off of your order. This would be a great way to launch your money coaching business. And if you use the discount, full disclosure, we may get paid at a commission. And so this is going to the very essence of what this particular episode was about, is that we want to create an all-around win situation. You as a listener get a discount, we get a commission, and Jillian can help serve you in her money coaching business. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, I wanted to thank our panelists today, Pete McPherson from Do You Even Blog, Angela from Tread Lightly, Retire Early, and Lily from The Frugal Gene and Mary for Money. That's a wrap. Lily's like one of my favorite bloggers, period. <laughs> Especially on podcasts. Lily kills it on podcasts because she thinks she doesn't. That's what makes Lily so awesome. <laughs> we get you right in that midst of, I think she also has to go to work today too. So between, uh, between kids and work, I think she just is, you know, both ends. Well, she's a mama having to juggle. I, yeah, I relate. Well, I'm not a mama, but I relate. <laughs> I was about to say all three of us or all four of us sitting here. None of us have a typical nine to five job where no. she does. That's for the birds. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask her if she monetizes her job. <laughs> well, that's so that, really what time is it there? Is it seven? Seven o'clock in the morning, yeah. Uh, when was the last time you were awake at seven? Never. Never. Never? <laughs> really? Ever? <laughs> Lily, <laughs> you're muted, but we'll see you later. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 